Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter for you. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson today comes from the book of Acts, first chapter, beginning at the very first verse. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convicting proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. 
Well, it is a privilege to, to be here today. Greetings from the Outreach Foundation based in Franklin, Tennessee. Bring you greetings from the staff there, our many global workers and our global partners throughout this world. I have been so impressed by this church, so welcomed and so loved by so many. Thank you for the invitation to come and spend some time with you. The dictionary defines the word witness as one who has seen or heard something and then tells others what they have seen or heard. In the New Testament, a witness is one who attests to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples were probably those early witnesses. You could argue there were a whole mess of other people around them, up to 120. But they all testified about Jesus in some way or another. For the disciples, let's say Peter, he probably talked about a number of events. I'm sure he mentioned walking on water. He had to tell that story a time or two. And we know he probably talked about the empty tomb and the linen wrappings. For Andrew, had to be the call of Jesus to leave his fishing nets there by the shore, to come and follow, just having the clothes on his back. Or James, I bet he talked about that mountaintop experience, the transfiguration, a time or two. These witnesses, they gave their personal account of Jesus Christ. And today, in an, another incredible passage from Scripture, the text will speak of your call, my call, to be a witness. Now, Luke is writing this book. He has just finished his wonderful gospel and writes a stunning second book filled with energy and excitement and even imagination of the early Christian church because God was on the move and doing something amazing again. The entire story is filled with intrigue. I love reading Acts. But it's not all lovely and wonderful. The early church faced a number of problems, as does the church today. There were crises over leadership, money, theology, ethics, not to mention all the troubles with the political and religious leaders of the day. And for me, when I read it, I'm kind of comforted to know that in normal church life in the early days, it wasn't trouble-free. It's equally encouraging that amid all the difficulties the church has had and is having even today, that the gospel moves forward in dynamic ways. The text today before you is, is one of the last recorded appearances, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. It ends with the ascension of Jesus in verse 9 with some interesting little remarks by Jesus. 
These disciples present don't get to enjoy the benefits of their faith in the risen Lord. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I did it for you guys now. Go ahead and just take care of yourselves. Rather, these disciples and the experience that has just taken place in the victory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they've been called to do something. They have been called to carry the message of Christ out into the world. And to do so, they will face enormous barriers. Now, as you look over the fascinating text that's, you know, right there in your bulletin for you to look at, there's a lot of things that we could talk about today. I was excited about some of these things. We could discuss the workings of the Holy Spirit, so prominent in the text and so frightening to Presbyterians. We could spend some time talking about the restoration of Israel, so hoped for by the Jews of Jesus' day. We could even consider moments when God breaks through this thin veil that separates heaven and earth. In other words, we could talk about holy encounters. And it's a rich, rich conversation. But not today. Instead, I invite you to look more deeply into the latter half of verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My former professor and this theologian, Dr. Daryl Guter, wrote a book about this text, lay titling it, You Will Be My Witnesses. And according to Guter, the whole book of Acts the whole book, all 28 chapters, relate to just that. Of how these disciples were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and through the Apostle Paul, who would take the gospel to the then unknown ends of the earth. Those, those verses, my dear friends, in verse 8, are some of the most incredible words in Scripture. They, they give us the very structure, yes, of the book, as I've already said, in Jerusalem, Acts chapters 1 through 7, in Judah, Judea and Samaria, Acts chapters 8 through 12, and to the ends of the earth, Acts chapters 13 through 28. And you know, I think if you start with that as the premise I think we all know that Jerusalem was the hub of activity for the Jews. Every part of life revolved around the temple in Jerusalem. It was here one registered. It was here one worshipped. It was here that one's life was governed by religious authorities of the day. And Jesus calls his disciples to witness in Jerusalem. And we are called to witness in our Jerusalems. Now, I think most of us do well with our Jerusalems. I've pastored five churches in 25 years, and every one of them was pretty good at food banks, care for the elderly, the children, the poor in the community, homeless funding. And this church is, is no different. You're stellar. 
And there really aren't too many more challenges when we consider our Judeas and Samarias. You know, like when natural disasters hit our country, like tornadoes and floods and hurricanes. We go into our Judeas and Samarias. When I was senior pastor at First President Huntsville, we raised $18,000 one Sunday morning because of the terrible tornado outbreak in 2011 that killed 253 people. We sent a truckload of water to Detroit because of the lead in their water city system. Yes, we can be quite stellar in the sending message of Jesus Christ as a witness into our Judeas and Samarias. But when we consider to the ends of the earth, where churches kind of struggle, at least in my experience. I've, I've heard it as a pastor hundreds of times. Pastor, we, pastor Mark, we need to care for our own. That's all well and good, but it's not the whole story biblically. We're not just to care for our own. The witness of the gospel is to care for the least, whether they be next door or around the globe. Look at Jesus who, who ministers you know, all the time in your gospels. He cares for the women, low status in those days. Not just in Jerusalem. There's a huge story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Likewise, he was helping the weak the poor, the lonely, the widowed. It didn't matter where they were from. In my sense, though, as in my years of experience, is that the church often struggles with the ends of the earth because they have not heard the story or the narrative of the faithful church at the ends of the earth. When I speak around the country, people are stunned by these global faith stories. They just did not know of these witnesses. And they respond. I shared in Sunday school, I have to, some of these stories, they're just mind-boggling. In the Middle East, in the northern war-torn region of Syria, there's a pastor by the name of Pastor Ibrahim Nasir. He and his wife and three small children that I showed in Sunday school, a picture of them all, are there in Aleppo. Heard of Aleppo? It's here he pastors a Presbyterian church in Aleppo. Yes, there are Presbyterian churches in Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. Nearly 40 of them birthed by Presbyterian missionaries who went into the region to develop schools and hospitals and churches. It is here that Pastor Ibrahim ministers at the ends of the earth. Five years ago, his, his, his church was destroyed by ISIS, leveled. 70% of the city was destroyed as well. Imagine Columbus, 70% of the city destroyed and the crazy aspect of this very unusual story is that Ibrahim, his, this pastor and his family, chose to stay in Aleppo. He told me, Mark, I don't have, 
I'm not being called anywhere else. Now, to give you an idea what the man faces, 22 million people used to reside in Syria 11 years ago. 11 million, half the population became refugees. They had to leave. There was no home to live in, no water, no electricity. And the city of Aleppo became, according to the UN, the worst humanitarian crisis since the Rwandan genocide of 1994. That's the UN saying that. And to refresh your memory about the Rwandan genocide, 800,000 people were murdered in 100 days in that experience, and Aleppo is right next door to that. It is here, though, that this man of God is called. It is here he feeds the hungry, gives thirsty wa- his water to thirsty neighbors, provides shelter for the homeless, and then worship services for the faithful remnant. Oh my goodness, can we not pull along this side, this guy, and, be a, and help him be a witness? Most of us would flee Aleppo. I would, be honest. But here we find Ibrahim, a man of faith, called to live in a dark and fragile world. I'm introducing him to you today because you can go to the end of the earth with your treasures and do what Jesus commanded you to do before his ascension. You can be a witness through him and support him right alongside your tremendous work with Frank Dimmick in South Sudan, the Reverend Farouk Hamo in Iraq, and Dr. Sasan Tavasoli in Iran. In some ways, it involves a commitment. It just does. Maybe a jump from the way you've done things in the past, I don't know. It might involve writing a check, encouraging your mission committee, partnering with another Presbyterian church, or joining the Outreach Foundation on a trip. I leave for Lebanon one month from yesterday. And if you jump, I believe God's going to bless you. I've seen it everywhere. Not just you individually, but you as a church. Why? Because you're doing what Christ called us to do in that post-resurrection appearance. You're being a witness. Now, naturally, there are other stories. I mean, I told the Sunday school class, I can talk about this all day. I do talk about this all day. But there are other stories about past, other than Pastor Ibrahim. There's some incredible women. Oh my gosh. Let me take you to Kamishli, Syria to the northeast portion of that. It's oil rich. It's, it's, there's little oil fields. Along the Turkey border, there's a Presbyterian church there. And there's a gal by the name of Maddie Sabah, Matilde Sabah. Just had twin baby girls. She's the second woman, second one now, ordained in the Synod of Syria in Lebanon. Her first assignment was to go to Kamishli. Wow, there's one. You know, that is, hey, Maddie, go to, go to, go to Kamishli. Six hours away, 
you know, I know ISIS is there and the Russian army is there. I know the Syrian army is there. The Turkish group is there and so are the Americans, but don't worry. I know you can't go outside your church doors without possibly being shot by a sniper. But Maddie, this is where we believe God's calling you to be a witness. And Maddie went, congregation of 20 people. What she didn't know is she had 350 kids in her Sunday school program with three adults able to teach. What she didn't know is there are 800 children in the weekday school that the church runs. 800 of them Muslim. It is here that Maddie was called to be a witness. Every time I share her story, I am just overcome. We're called to go to the ends of the earth with her and support her. Now, if that's a little far for you, you can vicariously do it through a guy in Atlanta who might come in here and speak at an invitation, Sasan Tavasoli. Sasan's a, on staff at the Outreach Foundation. He's a Farsi-speaking pastor from Iran, exiled in 1970, 1979 because of the Islamic Revolution. He's going to the far corners of the world and beaming satellite programming, an online church, virtual church, online leadership development courses for pastors of people who have fled Iran and now are residing in Europe. He's doing development work, training of these folks for new congregations that are springing up in Europe. And he's doing it right from his basement in Atlanta. It's easy for me to pull alongside Sasan and go to the ends of the earth with him. And just so you know what God is doing and how great a work God is doing, Iran has the fastest growing Christian population in the world. They cannot gather on Sunday morning because all the churches have been locked up and have been that way for 40 years. So it's all underground. House church movement. Come over for dinner and let's worship with Sasan on TV. 1.2 million Christians now in, in Iran, 300 new believers every month. God's on the move. It's incredible. And there is a mission because, in the words of the great missiologist David Borsch, he says, God loves people. And God is a sending God who invites us not to do our own ministry, but to get engaged in God's ministry and proclaim the risen Lord to everyone. My dear friends in Christ, we are people of faith. We are to be witnesses and to help others be a witness in our Jerusalems, in our Judeas and Samarias, and to the ends of the earth. To that end, I pray that we will commit ourselves, remembering just as Jesus ascended into heaven one day, we were given these instructions. He's coming back in the same way. And now to God who is able to do immeasurably more 
and I can really think about immeasurably more. The God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. To him be honor and glory this day and all days. Amen. 